Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to Spiro Avenue. Happy to have you. It's been really hot around these parts. Honestly, our, our pavement is quite uh, scorching lately. I'm, I'm very excited to be fully away from the University of Michigan talk. It breaks my heart to see them do well, at least in football. Basketball is another story. And the uh, Michigan State train is, is still rolling tonight, as a matter of fact. And I got to tell you, I, I was talking about it earlier tonight with a friend of mine. He's not currently in the building, but my love for New York City. And I'm a big fan of New York City. I love visiting New York City. It's one of my favorite, I don't know, five or six places to spend a weekend. And one of our best friends, my wife and I, she is a director in New York City, which is one of the coolest things you'd be probably. And I've come just from my visits to realize I really love the women in New York City. Uh, not, not in a, that kind of way. I'm a happily married man. But just the, the personality. In, in a very platonic sense, I, I really appreciate the women of New York City. They're smart. They're determined. They're certainly high achieving. You kind of have to be to make it there. And they have, frankly, many admirable qualities, those women in New York City. And I'm proud to say on this night that I have one thing in common with women in New York City. We have both spent many, many years chasing after Ryan Field. <laughs> and I, I was know, wondering where you were going with that. I, I can't say that every woman in New York City has uh, been successful in their conquest. That is most, most certainly true. Uh, maybe around half. But far less than that. If, it took me a long time, but we're here tonight. Here we are. The wait is over finally <laughs> at last. You are here. How many how many uh, months and years have you been asking me to be on the show? Well, it's two What's years. The tally? And, it's two years and something. I, I don't have a two down years and change. Yeah. Well, you know, it was the least I could do. I mean, I'm home for Christmas for a week. I had to at least stop by. I, well, I appreciate it. I know. You know, you said, how, how long are we going to do this thing? It's like, OK, I better get them out fast. It's like, no, the, no, 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 code. no. I, I didn't know if this was a three hour sit down. I was just trying to mentally prepare myself for oh, what was going to be in store. It's guest driven, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you are obviously you're from here. You're a Troy guy originally. Yeah. Everyone saw you on Fox Sports Detroit next mm -hmm. to Martin Cleaves and on the court at the palace and all over the place. So you're you're a home guy. You're a homeboy here. But uh, you have gone to California and now New York City. Yeah. So you're in the big time. You're the lead sports anchor for ABC Seven uh, in the Big Apple right now. Is that uh, did I get that title correct? You nailed it. I'm, I'm, so I'm a pro. I told you I've been working. This is your first rodeo. Uh, I've done this before. It's like my third. Yeah. Uh, so you are. I, I think as much as your resume is impressive, the fact that you are a distinguished alumnus of Michigan State mm -hmm. University is probably the most impressive, or certainly it should be. It is known as the Harvard of journalism schools uh, in the world. I've heard that. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, sure. So it's good to have you, man. Finally, it, it's great. It's just, it feels like such an honor to have Ryan Field here. <laughs> we have a lot of mutual friends. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit uh, Sue Carter, one of our yep. mentors at Michigan State. Uh, L.A. Dickerson, I had her Love as LA. well. Yeah. She's a star. She was the one that really got into the human side of journalism, and I, I loved L.A., I think uh, our closest mutual friend is probably uh, Jared, the 
Colossal Chaldean. <laughs> is that his official nickname? I hadn't heard I that. Think, I actually think it's his official name. I think it's that, a, that should be on a t-shirt if it is. The, the Colossal Chaldean, yeah, a Colossal good friend of ours, Chaldean. Jared. So, you know, uh, a lot of uh, sort of intersection on the Venn diagram. But yes. first time we've, I mean, I've seen you at Piston Games and yelled at you. But I mean, it's the first time I think we've ever like really met. It's good to have you. Big fan of yours. Look, means I, a lot, man. It's great I, to be here. I know you're the New York guy. That's like your thing now. You're yeah, New York. Everyone yeah. that goes to New York like doesn't have any time, but you're actually the rare exception where even now with your audience, what it is in New York City and yeah. you comment on, you, know, you tweet on the Rangers and the Yankees and the Mets and whatever, you have really kept that connection to Detroit. So I think you're more than qualified to be brought in here to discuss because there's a lot going on, frankly. I mean, really, I didn't know where to start because there's so many places. I wanted to start here. The state of the Detroit Pistons, because this is starting to come up. I don't know if you can, you know, hear this noise from with all those. I, I hear the noise. It's a team that's near and dear to my heart, so I pay very close attention to what transpires with that group. Yeah, and you worked uh, right in there. I mean, yep. you were in the really. I would say ten like years the, covering the team. The peak per FSD era too. That was a fun yeah. time. Yeah. So, well, the first half of it anyway. Second half, not so Yeah, much. well, that's all right. I it's left a, in 2013, so from like 09 to 13 were some pretty some pretty rough. lean years, to say the least. Well, and it's been lean since you left, too, up until very recently. I think the approval rating has changed so dramatically in the past couple months. It was in the pits for like 10 years. Yep. And then everybody, myself included, banging the drum all year last year. It was the most embraced, beloved tank job in the history of the NBA. No question. Coming, everybody loves, loved and loves Kate Cunningham. We're all thrilled with that. I don't think that has changed. But there is a little bit of pause. Wait a minute. I didn't think they'd be good. But up until last night, they were 4-24, and 24, now 5-24. and 24. Yep. Dead last in the NBA. They were kind of a trendy pick. I thought it was stupid, but a trendy pick to maybe be in playoff contention. You know, no one thought Make they were Make the gonna... play-in game. Exactly. There was some talk of that. For sure. We have departed from that. They are the worst team in the NBA. There's nothing fluky. A lot of these games have been blowouts. Yeah, their over-under was, I think, 24 and a half. Which I was betting the over. A lot of people were. When I saw that. And their pace is like 14. Yeah. It, it's been bad. I Look. I think we're getting a little bit too insane, though. I'm curious what you think. So this is a few days old now. This is the most updated that's been posted. The odds for the next coach to be fired in the NBA. We pulled this. I'm curious for your thoughts on this. So we'll start here. Okay. The next coach to be fired odds. Dwayne Casey, this is right after Luke Walton was fired, by the way. This was the updated odds. Dwayne Casey is the favorite. If you want to bet, this is a source bet online. Dwayne Casey is a two-to-one favorite. To be the next coach in the NBA, fired Frank Vogel of the Lakers three to one. Then you go down to Stephen Silas in Houston, mm-hmm. Willie Green uh, six to one. So, look, I think it's insane to want to fire Dwayne Casey at this point. Even if he was third or fourth on this list, like maybe the fact that he's the odds-on literal favorite to be the next fired, I think is a little crazy. Where do you stand on this? Well, look, I don't think he should be fired. I think you know the team A got younger. I think they've had a lot of of the young guys who succeeded last year, a la Sadiq Bey, uh, being a major shooting slump for the majority of this season. Uh, up until recently, he's kind of turned the corner once he started donning the headband. All of a sudden, things seem to start going his way. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, and look, you know, the injuries haven't helped. Olenek losing him was huge. And obviously having Grant out, you had Cade Cunningham miss all of training camp, so he's going to come in and not be the guy that you thought he would be right out of the shoot. 
but in a way, I, I think it's a blessing in disguise because you didn't want them to make the playoffs. You wanted them to get another top five pick with Blake Griffin's contract coming off the books. So now all of a sudden they've got all this financial flexibility this summer. You're going to have another, at least as it seems right now, a top three, most likely top five pick. Uh, and you add that to the young nucleus that I think is only going to get better. You're starting to see signs from Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, you know, all of a sudden in the rookie of the year conversation. Um, I, I think they're, I think they're in a great spot. And I think Dwayne Casey, I know a lot of fans are frustrated with his rotations and things like that, but you know, the, the expectations for this team were 24 wins from Las Vegas, which pretty much tells you what everybody thought of this team. Yes. I, I think a lot of what's gone wrong is outside of Dwayne Casey's control. Um, I think for this team, I think he's the right temperament uh, to lead this group. I know Troy Weaver likes him, so I do not agree with those odds that you posted on that board. Well, and those odds are reflective of the attitude of, frankly, a lot of people out there. I mean, I, I, I mean, you have a Twitter account. Maybe your uh, followers and the people in your ether are nicer than mine. I think that's probably a safe bet. I have a lot of parasites in mine. But there's a lot of people out there that are saying fire them. I think that's kind of crazy. I mean, but for what purpose? I mean, the the whole the team is still in a rebuilding mode. I mean, if you're if you were if you came in and you expected them to be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, wow. and they had five wins right now, I mean, come on. I mean, the expectations for this team were were nothing. This guy Dwayne Casey was brought in to kind of bridge the gap during this rebuild, and then I think eventually he's going to retire in the next couple of years. They're going to bring in a new coach to then take them to the next level, a la Larry Brown taking over for Rick Carlisle, and you know to get them to the next, uh, to get them over the hump and get them to a championship caliber uh, team at that point. So um, I think Dwayne Casey has done what he was brought here to do: nurture the young kids and kind of foster a very uh, cohesive locker room. Uh, you know, a lot of likable guys on the roster. I was talking to Johnny Kane last night. He said this is the this is the best group of guys individually he's ever been around. Talking about the guys oh. on this team, and you know, you just talk about the culture that he's instilled there. And I, I think the best is yet to come. I think people are just a little, uh, pardon the French, butthurt by what happened because there were a lot. There was a lot of hype coming off of last year. Um, but look, it hasn't planned, panned out that way. I do think they're going to finish the second half strong as Killian gets better. Cade Cunningham continues to settle in. You're going to get Jeremy Grant back healthy, assuming he doesn't get traded. Olenek coming back is going to be a big deal. So I think they're going to finish strong the second half of the season, get a free agent to come in, whether via trade or whatever, uh, another top five pick, and then they're going to really take the next step next season. Yeah, I mean, the valid criticism that I think could be out there and valid criticism does not equate to, oh, fire him, by the way. Right. But the valid criticism that exists that I've heard is why wasn't Cade Cunningham being more ball dominant? Why isn't the offense flowing through him more than it was? Now we're starting to see them pivot to that. So I think he's getting there. And the other thing was, what's going on with Sadiq Bay? He's been lost for a month. Now, the last two games, he's come out firing and he's looked like last year's peak right. Sadiq Bay. I think, look, here's, here's where I stand. If they are anywhere in this range, four and twenty-four, six and, and twenty-six or whatever in December of next year, then I'm like, okay, something's awry. We have to be farther along. Anything earlier than like two months in the next year, to me, like near the halfway point's way too soon. Is that a fair sort of like, I, I think that is fair. That's given, a fair given line. the given the fact they're the third youngest team in the NBA, given all the other obstacles they've had to overcome. I think that is a very fair assessment at this point. And, and I, I, I think Troy Weaver would agree with you as well. Oh, yeah, I, you would, I would go something. out of the limb and say that. 
Yeah. Oh, I so said you go out on a limb. I think you're talking to Troy. You're, <laughs> no, the I'm not you're talking, talking. I am not talking. I know to for Troy. a fact he loves Dwayne Casey. No, you're talking no, no. to somebody. This is just based on what I've heard and, and read and everything. Right. I know so. you got a lot of context, Ryan. So here's what I would argue why there's some maybe, uh, I don't know, apprehension with going forward with Casey, even though I don't agree with it. I think he's the right guy for right now. The stakes, frankly, are quite a bit higher because, look, you have some higher when right now they're higher. Well, no, in the next like from now to the next three years, the stakes are higher because then I'll, I'll, I don't think he's going to be here in three years. I think I think he's going to retire. But before this is that. a pivotal year in that process, though. I look at it as a whole. I don't look at them as four individual years. I look at these next couple of years, the next three, four years as a, a whole pie. And look, here's what I'm getting at. When Lawrence Frank was here, I mean, look. There's some wackos out there. I, I like to think of myself as pretty sane. I didn't give a fuck if uh, Lawrence Frank squandered the career of Charlie Villanueva. It didn't matter. Who cares? I didn't, I didn't care that the corpse of Ben Gordon uh, was maybe not getting every drop squeezed out of him by Lawrence Frank or uh, Mo Cheeks. I, I just didn't care. Where we get into the Pistons now... I do care about Cade Cunningham's development. I think Isaiah Stewart, I think Sadiq Bay are real guys, not stars, but real guys on a real team. And the pick that's forthcoming next year, presumably, and we'll get into that in a minute, top three, top four, there's a, it's a strong draft at the top. I think that's part of some of the concern and hyper-awareness of this stuff where, look, you have a window here where if this thing is run poorly for the next two, three years, you alienate, you look at Zion Williamson in New Orleans, right. the guy's begging to get out already. Like, I just, I think that's where some of this anxiety comes from. Yeah. And, you know, if the team was performing better right now with some of the players that we talked about and maybe if the injuries hadn't occurred, uh, maybe they would have five, six, seven more wins and people would feel a little bit better about the situation. I would feel more concerned if there was a culture problem, if players were going against the coach, they didn't like what he was bringing to the table, they didn't like his message, but there's none of that going on. There's no infighting. You got a young team that's learning how to win. They're growing together. I think Casey is nurturing these young guys and I think they're going to be just fine. You, I, 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 think, I think if we're, to your point, two, three years down the road and we're still talking about this, Completely different, even to your point, halfway through next season. Um, but I think for right now, people are upset, and rightfully so, because they liked what they saw last year. They thought they were going to take another step this year. It hasn't happened. But so what? I think they're going to be better off in the long run because of it. So, 100% agree. I love that they're dead last. I yes. think that, <laughs> just for the record. And they're still fun to watch. I mean, especially lately. I know they had a few blowouts earlier, but. Uh, you know, they're starting to look more like the team we saw last year, a lot of competitive uh, competitive losses. They've had a lot of games where they've been up double digits in the fourth quarter and blown it. You know, another case of youth being served. So I think ultimately the franchise is in a good position. And, you know, in today's day and age, everybody wants things to happen overnight. And it's just not going to work out that way. You made uh, the point about that it's not mutiny or anything like you know, the coach's uh, relationship with the players is still good and that's important. You were there for the the Rip Hamilton mutiny. What year was that? Yeah, with Kuster. With John Kuster. Yeah. I, it was like uh, 11 or something? Yeah, I want to say like, it was 11. Right in there. And when they had a fist bump at practice, we, made, we had a huge deal. We made a huge deal about it. Like, we had, there was video of it. Like, that was supposedly them making amends. They had a little fist bump oh. as Rip walked by him in practice. And, uh, yeah, th those, those years were just a mess all the way around. And Kuster was in over his head. Great guy. Uh, but he was kind of dealt a bad hand with the roster and everything else. 
So it was uh, it was it was tough circumstances all the way around. And I think they wanted Rip to come off the bench, I think is what it was, is what led to that. Um, boy, it's, it's funny because I haven't thought about those days in a long time. And, and there wasn't a lot to remember that were, was good from that part of Pistons basketball, that era of it. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was definitely, uh, when that went down with the fist bump and everything, it was, it was a huge deal. And looking back at it now, it's just silly. Uh, Rip got mad ever since, you know, he signed his extension and then they traded Chauncey for Iverson. That was when sort of the spark that he resented and it was never the same after that. I've always said, funny story, by the way, I was in the, I was in the elevator. This is a true story. Uh, I'm ready. So I'm in Charlotte. And back then we had Eli Zarin and I both doing the sidelines. So back, remember the games used to be on channel 50? Yep. Yep. And the game, half the games were on 50 and half the games were on FSD. So it, I think it was the first year that FSD had all the games. So they brought in Eli from the channel 50 coverage per the Pistons. And they brought, they had me there already from FSD. So we had two sideline reporters, which in today's day and age is unheard of. So, it was me, Eli, George, and Greg. And I think it was the fourth game of the season. We're in Charlotte. And Eli says to me after shoot around, and he says, man, what are we going to talk about with this team? He's like, it's been the same group for the last six years. There's no storylines. I think they started 4-0 out of the season, so it might have been the fifth game or 3-0, and it was the fourth game. And, you know, they'd come off the tough Eastern Conference Finals loss against the Celtics the year before. You still kind of felt maybe their run was maybe coming to an end, but they were still kind of one of the best teams in the East. And he's like, what are we going to talk about? And then next thing you know, everybody's phones start going off that they had traded Chauncey for Allen Iverson. And it was literally not two minutes after Eli was bitching about how there was nothing to talk about with this team and what are we going to talk about and whatever, whatever. So we go back to the hotel, and there was an article written about this. I think it was on ESPN.com, how Rip and Tayshon had gone to Chauncey's room at the hotel afterwards, after the shoot-around. And I don't think Chauncey was at shoot-around, but nobody knew why. And I think looking back at it, you're like, well, now we know what happened. And it was just me, Rip, and Chauncey. I'm sorry, me, Rip, and Tayshon in the elevator at the team hotel. Oh, shit. And they were just yelling back and forth to each other and just kind of like, this is BS, bah, 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 just very upset, very frustrated. Um, and they, that, that, that ended up being like the talking point of this ESPN piece that came out. But I was the one that was in the elevator with those two as they got the news. And deservedly so, they had every right to be upset. I mean, it was, you know, it kind of caught everybody by surprise. Um, and that was really a turning point in the franchise the day that whole thing went down. Was yeah. just, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 was. It, was the, it was the end of an era. You know yeah. what I mean? It was, yeah. in, in that sense, it was a turning point in the franchise. Um, it certainly didn't pan out the way that they wanted it to. They got Iverson about three years too late, in my <laughs> opinion. Maybe five. Yeah. Um, but I'll never forget that day. That was that was one of my craziest days in the ten years covering the team. Uh, the day that that trade went down, and the fact that they traded McDice too, but then they ended up getting McDice back. Like that was part of like a wink, wink part of the deal. Like they were going to waive McDice and he was going to come back, and now that's not allowed anymore. I don't think by the NBA they kind of have a new rule that you can't trade a guy and then waive him and then bring him back. Um, but just just a crazy moment in the history of the Pistons and just the way the whole thing went down and. Uh, everybody was just so upset and, you know, 
if Joe D could do that one over and the Darko one over, I'm sure he would do him over again tomorrow. There's no question about it. Well, the Darko one for sure. I, the Billups thing, look, I think that's one of the more overstated, uh, worst trades in Detroit sports history. It was harmless. The team was done. They, the team they, wasn't done. Okay, I mean, they value, finished with the best record in the Eastern, or second best okay. record in the Eastern Conference that, the year before that. That team was done in terms of titles. I'm not saying they were done. They were not going to make the playoffs. They were done as a legitimate contender. Their, their run was probably over, yeah. It was 100% over. So I understand what Jumars was doing where, look, this has gotten stale. We've hit the ceiling. We, we right. can't get past where we've been the last, what, three years in a row they got bounced in that round, two or three, whatever it was. I, we have to do something. Iverson, he was really, he was still pretty good the year before. I mean, really, I agree with you. Three years too late, like he he started the decline, but it was like a huge drop off from his last year in Denver to his year with Detroit. Right. Uh, look, I'm not saying, oh, it was a brilliant trade that went awry. I get what he was doing, though. And to me, it's titles are bust in sports, like in a big picture. They won zero titles either way, in my opinion. If they keep Phillips, it didn't matter. But that's interesting, though. So you're on the elevator with Tayshawn. They were on their way to Chauncey's room. They were tight, man. That whole like the that, whole group. And they, group. they were so mad at Joe because they were all caught off guard by him. They never got that core back. Like it was yeah. just, it never did feel the same. I think you never felt the that. same. I, I mean, I, yeah. Chauncey was the head of the snake. You know what I mean? He was, he was the guy. Uh, and I remember him talking about how. You know, all he did for the organization, he gets traded, and the next day they're welcoming Allen Iverson in, and he's holding up Chauncey's jersey, the number one. <laughs> and now Iverson's wearing it. <laughs> like, come on, bro. That's like just rub that salt. Yeah, right I mean, that, that's about as bad as it gets. What was that like when he got there, when Allen Iverson got there? Like, did, did you have interactions with him? Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was Allen Iverson. I mean, there, there, was, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of gambling stories that are uh, definitely off the record. Um, as part of covering the team, but, um, and obviously something that he had a problem with for a lot of years, um, definitely a different type of personality than Chauncey was. Um, I, I, I just, I didn't like it from the beginning when they traded, especially because Chauncey was such a fan favorite. I mean, everybody loved Iverson too, like as a whole, but I'm talking about Detroit fan. Um, so when he came in, I, it just, it didn't seem like a good fit from the jump. Yeah. And it, it, it ended up, that ended up being the case. And a lot of that was the fact that he was well past his prime. I don't blame Joe for wanting to mix it up a little bit. I don't know if that was the way that I would have gone to mix it up, but I'd say it's 2020. I don't know if you're a Bill Simmons guy, Ryan, but uh, the, the book of basketball, one of the more entertaining sports books ever written, written by Bill Simmons, he described, and this is a paraphrase, but I remember pretty close. He described Allen Iverson as the most beloved player by other players in the NBA, that everyone he talked to in the league that were in the, still in the league, coaches, players, they had so much respect for this guy, how hard he played and how much he squeezed out of that five foot nine frame of his. I, I'm curious. I know they love Chauncey. Was there any reverence at all for Iverson walking through the doors at the palace or was it pure that you sensed reverence from, from who the players? Was there any bit of like, you know, not, deference but just like you know look we're mad about Chauncey but shit this is Allen Iverson he was a beloved iconic figure and you said even on the global yeah I mean I I think once the sting of the trade wore off I mean those guys definitely welcomed him I mean there wasn't any sort of bad blood between Iverson and Rip and any of those guys I mean I guess when they were talking about bringing Rip off the bench when starting Iverson and that whole mess I guess there was a little bit of that 
Um, but yeah, I, I never saw any sort of like, you know, I think they were more mad at the front office than they were at Allen Iverson. He, he didn't have anything to do with the trade. He, he was brought in. And to your point, this was, this was a player that a lot of those guys, Tayshons and the rip, they, they grew up idolizing. You know what I mean? Allen Iverson is one of the greatest players of all time. So I think they welcomed him with open arms, despite the fact that they were mad at the front office. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just, just overall, I mean, it was nice to have like a breath of fresh air, something new to talk about, but I don't think anybody thought that they were going to come in and, um, you know, with Iverson take the next step. I don't think anybody thought that was realistic. It's funny. Cause we talked about our mutual mentor, one of our mutual mentors, LA Dickerson. I was a student at Michigan state still when the Iverson trade went down and I was with Thanks LA. for aging me, by the way. I, yeah, Appreciate well, yeah. that. Oh, I don't want to get into that. You'll you're like, yeah, I was a freshman four, in 2009. You're 14 years old, sir. I don't want to talk about the things that make me feel. Well, it was actually 2008 so, when the trade went down. Oh, eight, oh, nine. I'm a self-conscious guy. It was my first semester up at Michigan State, though, and I was actually like, talking to L.A. Dickerson. Appreciate it. And I, I come out of that conversation like 100 text messages about it, and that was big. Text messages were fresh back in 08, but it's just funny, that connection. You were on the elevator. I was with L.A. Dickerson, who we both know. When I found out, look, I, I thought it was defensible. I thought they were fucked either way. It didn't matter. So it's like, whatever. Why not roll the dice? That was, yeah, that's sure. where I stood on that. So Sell like, some tickets. Makes sense. Yeah, whatever. It was harmless. Like, they, they, they were done anyway. It just, it, it, it expedited their downfall. Yes. It was what they did in the next five years where, you know, why are we paying A-plus money to C-plus players like Villanueva, like Gordon. Right. I mean, that's where you kind of the shit. Which was the following offseason, by the yeah, way. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they were like, oh, like, what, are they, what are you doing? Like Villanueva? And it's one of those where – Well, the Ben Gordon one – Gordon was defensible because yeah. he was hot. He was – yeah, he, he was good with the, with the Bulls, especially in the, the game – the series against the Celtics. Yeah, it was like 25 points a yeah, game. He, I, he was really good. Defensible. Villanueva indefensible, even when it happened – Let's get back to 2021 and, you know, 22 in the season we're in. Cade Cunningham, I'm sure you caught wind of what Dave Bing said, that you know, we don't have the guy you can build around. Maybe you didn't. Dave Bing said on the air, this, you know, we got a good player, but we need a, a real point guard, which was an interesting comment. Here's where I stand on Cade Cunningham. I'm curious where you land on this. I look at him. You look what he's done now. He's 16, 6, and 5. Is a just turned 20-year-old. Came in at 19. December, he's up to 19 points a game, 19, 6, and 5. Again, just turned 20. I view him as a, not yet, but a top 15, 18 type player. I don't view him as LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. I view him sort of as that second tier, where, you know, like in, more of like an A minus. Good enough to maybe be the best player on a champion, but borderline. Is that sort of a fair uh, assessment for Kate Cunningham? Do you think I'm underselling him, uh, overselling him, or kind of about right in that 15 What, what month days? are we in? December? December. I mean, we're two months into his NBA career. I mean, we're making yeah. some pretty grand proclamations well, yeah. being two months into his You're NBA like career. You're like David Klein from the Spartan Hoops. He was I'm, just, I'm just I, being real with you here. I mean, I think his ceiling could be, could he be like a Grand Hill type player? Maybe without all the, the, you know, the crazy hops? For sure, I think he could be. Could he be putting up 25 a night? I don't think there's any question about that. I love, I love him. I think he's great. I do not think he's transcendent. I think he's an A-. minus. Uh, but I think that they can be fine with an A minus. I think they have to pair. When you have Kevin Durant and all these guys singing his praises and talking about how much game he has and stuff like that, when you're getting that kind of love from the best of the best of the NBA, I, I think that says it all. And I think the thing that I like best about him is his demeanor. 
And I, Steve Kerr was saying something about it. I saw a few other coaches saying about it, how the game never speeds up for him. He just goes at his own pace. And for a kid who, to your point, just turned 20 years old and can slow the game down, I think is, is pretty impressive. And I think he's only going to get better. I think not having training camp obviously hurt him. So he's kind of learning the ropes in regular season action, which is not easy to do as a rookie, uh, especially one that, you know, maybe isn't as explosive as a Jalen Green type player. Um, but I, I think the Pistons, if they could redo the draft, I think they'd take him again, number one. 100%. I loved when he played Jalen Green. I mean, we saw in the exhibition season two. Jalen Green's trying to get in his head, running up and down the court, like right. barking in his ear. And Cunningham just does not give two hoots in hell. He nope. just does not care, doesn't react, has no sign of being affected by it. It was, if anything, better, but didn't seem to be even motivated by it. It was just whatever. And they asked him after the game, and he said something to the effect of, yeah, that's more theatrics. Like I just, yeah. I'm just here to play basketball kind of thing. I think that's the kind of guy where, look, if you're in game seven, Eastern Conference Finals, NBA Finals, whatever. He's got the ball. Look, the best player can have ice in the veins and miss a shot. But if he screws up or misses the shot, it's not because he's scared. Nope. That's, it's a, he's not scared. Yep. He might miss. He might not make the play. But he's got the talent to make the play, and he's got the mentality. And I really think that's what made him the number one pick over Jalen. I think, I think the front office just loved his demeanor. I think they loved his character. And then when Jalen Green was saying all that crap about Detroit afterwards, it's just like, okay, now we see why he wasn't the number one pick. Because Cade Cunningham, if he went number two, wouldn't be trashing Detroit no. the same way Jalen Green was trashing Detroit, right? So I think that's why, um, just another reason why he went number one. And I think once the team gets better and Detroit gets more fanfare, uh, I mean, look, this kid could win rookie of the year. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, especially I think he's going to get better each month. You already talked about the numbers going up from November to December. Um, so he wins rookie of the year. Let's just say the team takes another step next year. I mean, I think he's going to be the most popular athlete in Detroit, right? He's, he's going to be way up there. I mean, already in December, it's like 19 and a half, six and five. I think yeah. 47% from the field. So it's efficient. It's not like he's taking a hundred shots. Like he's got an efficient balanced, strong game. Right. He's not a, an ace defensively, but he's well above average. Yep. I, I you know, and again, He's played most of this year at 19, now 20. It's like, this guy, I think, is a stud. Going forward, this is a huge piece coming in next summer, and we're going to see that. This is going to be, they got Cade. Yep. Cade, whether you think he's a home run or a triple, whatever, either way, big, it was, it was a, a good hit. It was, it, was, it was a big one to get him. The next one is huge. They have a, a big one coming. Now, we pulled the lottery odds for what they are right now as of this broadcast. Pistons are in that sort of three-way tie. Now, they have the worst record, which is good. They have a little room to uh, even gain ground and still maintain the same right. odds. So it's Detroit, Orlando, and Oklahoma City all have a 14% uh, chance to get the first overall pick and uh, 52 points. So worst case, they're four. picking fourth in that scenario, which is good. Yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, if it ended right now, they're, they're picking fourth. And by the way, there's three or four really good prospects as we stand right now, three in particular, but even – Four and five ish are looking. Can you imagine good. if they got lucky and won the lottery the second year in a row? Look, that may be asking a lot, and it, it is, frankly. But in this draft, look, I'd love number one. I want number one. They get two or three. Huge win because no I question. think there's three stars in this draft. Yep. And that gets us to our next point. This is the current top three prospects. I, we went to four different sites ESPN, NBA Draft Net. 
They all have the same top three. Now, different order, but same top three that I found. So, you know, here's the rundown. Chet Holmgren is the center from Gonzaga. He's seven feet tall, 195, which I don't even know if he really weighs 195. <laughs> uh, but, you know, big skinny center, but hell of a player called the unicorn already. Uh, I call him Poncheros, but Paolo Bonchero from uh, Duke. 6'10", 250, hell of a player. Jabari Smith is getting a lot of the buzz recently out of Auburn for being the potential first overall pick. He's sort of the Twitter favorite in the last 10 days. Right, right. Uh, 6'10", 220. You look at the top three prospects that we have in front of you. Seven feet, 6'10", 6'10". This is perfection. The Pistons have their lead guard right now. They had, I mean, he's 6'7", they listed at 6'8", 6'6", 6'7", they got the lead guard. They do. The hole on this roster is a skilled, highly skilled big man. There's three of them right there. Yep. The Pistons could actually get kind of hot, gain ground on a couple of teams, and still maintain the same odds. If they get into that top three, and you're going into next year with, let's say, Bonchero and Cade Cunningham. And I like it. Stewart and Bay. This team, I think, is two years from then you know, maybe two and a half, three years from now, from being legitimately dangerous to where I can say, maybe they don't win the title, but they could be in game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals down four with five minutes left. I mean, is that sort of fair? Am I, am I blowing smoke? I think they're this close. They're one draft pick away of well, those three guys from being there. Remember when I said a few minutes ago that the franchise is in great position going forward. Yes. That this is all part of that. I, I think to your point, they would be about two years away from being serious contenders. Uh, it depends a lot, too, what they do with that cap space this summer. They make a trade. I know the free agent class isn't great until the following year. Do they hold the money and then wait until the next summer? Um, look, man, you can, you can turn the corner pretty quick in the NBA. You've only got 12 guys on the roster, so of the main roster. Uh, so it's not like you're out of the realm of possibility. You add three new guys. You got a quarter of your team is new, and all of a sudden you're ready to take another step. So I, I think they could turn this around pretty quick. And that's why I think the important, the important part of this season and what you should look for the rest of this year is just the development of the Bays, the Stewarts, the Killian Hayes, the Cunningham. You want to continue to see progress from these guys. That falls on the shoulders of Dwayne, Dwayne Casey. Not so much the wins and losses. You see these guys getting better, uh, and then it puts the Pistons in position uh, with the new draft pick with some free agent cash to make another step, take another step next year. Yeah, so. I, I've heard you were a nice guy, Ryan. You're nicer than I thought. It's extremely charitable of you to throw Killian Hayes in the mix of that. Killian Hayes is his is his is, is his improvement not important to the team? Well, it, yeah, I, in theory, but you're, there's no in theory about it. His, his ha- improvement ha- is very important. It's to not going to happen though. The guy well, can't play. Looked, I was at the game last night. He looked pretty good. He can't play. Knocked down a clutch three. Shot it with confidence. Killian Hayes can't play. I disagree with you. <laughs> I disagree. Can't with you. Play. Right. Well, what was the stat that just came out? Him and Cade Cunningham were the first pair of rookie teammates ever, or something, to have ten assists each in one game. Okay, you could have the, this. the kid. The kids all. The kid is also a very good defender. So we'll see, dude. I mean, his offensive game may never be what everybody wants it to be. I thought they should have taken Tyrese Halliburton. I liked Killian, but I, I thought I thought, and I've argued with my pal Vinny Goodwill about this. Why, if you're, if you're drafting that high like they were with Killian, why roll the dice when you have a guy like Halliburton who you already knew could play at the NBA level? Like, to me, I take the safe pick right there, where they rolled the dice on Killian, and now you're sitting here regretting it. Halliburton's putting up great numbers for the Kings. Uh, so I, I thought that that's where, that, that was the direction they should have went. Um, so now they've got the Killian project, uh, but I do think the kid's gotten better. 
And I think he'll continue to get better. I think a lot of it's between the years. And hopefully uh, we'll see him kind of blossom here a little bit. Even though you're being very doubtful about that process, I think it's going to happen. I need something to base it on. I, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not he, my he, fault. He's shown flashes. He's shown flashes. They're few and far between. I will give you that. But he has uh, shown flash. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I, we, we disagree on Killian. I, look, I defended him all offseason. I said it's And this I, was the guy that you wanted. I wanted Tyrese Allen. Oh, you, you win. I, and by the way, I'm on the opposite end of you, even though you won this round. In the position the Pistons were in, I would argue you're better off taking the bigger swing because your roster sucks. What is a Yeah, but, but again, but now, but now to your point, you think Killian Hayes can't play. So now you took a swing and you, in your opinion, wasted a top 10 pick where you could have had a guy who's a solid to good contributor in Halliburton already ready to play and help, you know, take your roster to another level. Maybe he's not going to be a superstar, but I think already he's a better player than Killian Hayes. So to me, you take the safe pick when you're drafting right there. I mean, you would have been right in this situation. As a general principle, though, it can go either way. I mean, the Bucks taking Giannis when they did at fifteen, but when you get safe, but it was players. like, but it was like when the Pistons took Dumbuya. What was that at fourteen or thirteen when they took Seku? Yeah, it was right in there. I think you. I think you can roll the dice a little bit more there. I think when you're picking in the top ten, I think you take the sure thing all day, every day. Well, I they wouldn't give us Halliburton for Killian, so you win that round for sure. <laughs> I look. I mean. Uh, I, I was, if anyone pulled my tape all offseason, I was, everyone burying Killian Hayes is crazy. He had a hip injury. And now you're burying him. Now, yeah. I, I, they so we're going to save, we're going to save this tape. Save We're going to save this tape. Yeah. It's, oh, for it. when he takes another step next year, I'm going to come back and make a guest cameo. And we're going to roll this back. <laughs> we're going to roll the tape uh, back. Right. And then we can see what's what. And, look, I hope I'm wrong. Just like I hope I'm wrong about Dan Campbell. We'll get to that. But whatever. Killian Hayes aside, if you get that one of those top three picks, I think all three are stars. I right. mean, whether they're an A minus an A or an A plus, I don't think there's any B's on that board that we had. I think all those guys are multi-time all-stars. That's the consensus. You pair one of those three with Kate Cunningham, Stewart, Bay, all that cap space. This is one of the best two or three teams, not next year, but by the second year of the new guy, year three of Kate. In theory, you are correct. It, yes. They are in incredible position. And you said, and again, you mentioned the cap space. I hope they don't spend any of it in a meaningful way this offseason. I don't think they will. Target that big class. Just like your New York Knicks team, they're in New York. You guys always think, oh, don't worry, guys. Everything will be fine. We'll get Durant next year. Oh, we'll, we'll get LeBron. We'll, well, we'll Durant get did go to New York. He just went to Brooklyn. Yeah, I went to the wrong Not one. Not Manhattan. I, yeah. The Knicks, that's the oldest bit ever. The Knicks fans being like, oh, whatever, bro. Like, just wait till next offseason yeah. when all these guys come here. And it just never happens. I, I just think this team is look, don't fuck it up. Don't go 15 and 12 down the stretch and blow it and end up picking sixth because then you're back into the, you know, oh, do we take the safe Halbert well, type? Well, you or, saw how they tanked to perfection last year. So you think, I think if they're getting close to doing that this time around, they will pull some guys, sit them on the bench, you know, rest, rest days. Well, yeah. I think you'll see a lot of that the same way it unfolded last year. That was like Mozart, that tank was, last year. That and was that's so why beautiful. they were rewarded with the number one pick, the lottery gods rewarded them for the way that they perfected that tank. Detroit was due. We got kicked in the balls too many, too many times. The to Red count. Wings, the Pistons. Yeah, too many times. It to was count. terrible. So, all right, let's transition to this. I, I, I'm done with the Pistons. I still like... That was a lot more Pistons talk than I expected, if I'm being honest. I like the Pistons. That was, that was about 40 minutes of Pistons talk. I, I don't think we're quite at 40. I like what the Pistons are doing. Let's move to the Lions, who I don't, <laughs> I don't like what they're doing. So, Dan Campbell... 
Big win over Arizona, I guess, for the program. Even I said begrudgingly, like, sure. shit, for what he's trying to build, that was a big win. The season's lost, but for big picture, he needed that. The win against Minnesota, the Vikings handed him the game. It was a stupid play, kind of a fluke. Nothing fluky about the Arizona win. So we'll play a little clip of Dan Camp on the locker room after that game, and then we'll get into it. Detroit, man, I tell you what, we did everything we said we needed to do to that team. We did everything. And I tell you what, defense, you took it personal. It's three and out, man. You guys are making them have to We turned the ball over offensively, right? And then we defensively, a mighty 2-4. I tell you what, offensively, man, we came after them early, man. We said we we're going to be aggressive. We took some shots. We made them. You guys are a tough, gritty group, man. You're a tough, gritty group. You always have been. And now you're you're seeing the dividends. Man, look, a team gets one out, two out. We got multiple guys out, and multiple guys stepped up, and that's what we're capable of. Look, I mean, I'm called an asshole, and perhaps fairly. He's a likable motherfucker. There's, he's a likable. There's no question. Guy. He's the big Lebowski. <laughs> he's a, he's. I just. I would love to just hang out with that guy. So you know, well, you I, can see why his players love him, right? Yeah. yeah. You see that? You got his hat all cockeyed, looking like Fernando Rodney, but even higher <laughs> up on his right. head. That's right. Um, look, he's a very likable guy, and I think we knew that from the from the opening press conference. That's why Lions fans were so excited because this guy was so cool. You know, he just kind of had that uh, guy you want to have a beer with, talking the talk, the biting the kneecaps, all that stuff. Obviously, that part of it we're cool with. It's the in-game decision-making, especially with him play-calling and some of the stuff that we've seen, not so much Sunday, but in previous weeks that leave people going, okay, what's what's, what's the ceiling here with Dan Campbell as head coach? Now, could he be learning along the way? For sure. And is this the right roster to do it with? For sure, because they're not expected to do anything. Um, and you hope he's going to get better. Uh, yesterday was kind of, I think, what we wanted to see. Like, if you had said before the game, like, what are the Lions going to look like next year or the year after? I think we saw that yesterday. Playing hard on defense, laying some big hits, some big interceptions, playing fast, playing clean. Jared Goff looked good. Uh, I mean, they just dominated a really good Arizona team. I think that's kind of like, Lions football in the future, that's what you want them to look like. And we saw that yesterday. Is that sustainable under Dan Campbell? I don't know. That's the question that needs to be answered. I don't think it is. And look, I, I mean, I was digging around, Ryan, you know, and we could have done a graphic on this, but I, I didn't think it was compelling enough. But just fact check me anyone out there because the facts are there. Jim Schwartz had wins like this where people were talking about, oh, my God, this is the turning point for the Lions. Jim Caldwell, his first season went swimmingly famously, kind of got a little stagnant. Then he had a big win in like week nine against Cleveland or Cincinnati or something in year three. Everyone was like, okay, the Lions are back on board now and everything's going great again. We've seen this happen before where, okay, that was a big win. Even Matt Patricia, the specific example, when he beat Bill Belichick on Sunday night football at Ford Field, Patriots were like a two-touchdown favorite, and dominated Tom Brady, shocked everybody, not just that they won, but how thoroughly they dominated the Patriots, a Patriots team that played in the Super Bowl later that year. I've seen this movie before where we have a mountain of evidence that this isn't going to work. And, you know, Patricia, mountain of evidence it wouldn't work. Oh, that win over New England was so fun. Oh, this win over Arizona was so fun. That's a good team, a potential Super Bowl team, and you dominated them. I don't put 
I wouldn't say I don't put anything into it. I put very little into it. I have to see it on some sustained level. That was an effort we haven't seen all year. They've played hard. They haven't played hard and well really all year. I just, I don't buy it. You, you seem more neutral if I had to pin you down. Are you a Dan Campbell guy? Do you buy this working? Because I, I just don't. I, think he's I don't the wrong think so. Guy. I, I think he's a guy that obviously Dwayne Casey has had more success uh, in his coaching career. That goes without saying. But I think Casey is kind of like a bridge the gap coach where he's at in his career, retiring in a couple of years, I would think. Dan Campbell's that guy too. They're bridging the gap when they're ready to be like, if, if that day ever were to come that the Lions were going to be playoff slash Super Bowl contenders, I can't see Dan Campbell being that coach. I think for this roster and this team, and you know they want to get another high draft pick, I, I think he's where they want, you know, he's the guy they want there. I mean, they gave him, a, I think, was it a six-year deal, which is completely mind-blowing that they gave this first-time head coach a six-year deal, or in essence, a first-time head coach. Um, but I don't think he's the guy going forward. It's so incredible that they needed to give him six. Yeah, like based on give me a three-year deal, right? No leverage. Nobody no. else even called to no. interview him. I mean, this isn't like that. That was Lions management at its finest. I, I, I should say Lions ownership. Every Lions you know, I, Valenti was on the air. You know, all offseason saying about about that six-year deal. Oh well, they had to because no one will come here. I'm sorry. If Sheila Ford Hamp had told Dan Campbell's agent, look. I'll give you four years to be the head coach right now. Right. I'm not doing six. He would have taken that. And if he wouldn't, he, he's an insane person because no one else was even calling him. So, again, I think the Fords are just uh, reprehensible owners. Are you into the the Lions, the curse of Bobby Lane, Detroit versus everybody crap? Because I, <laughs> I, I think they wear their own um, anchor. I think they own their own baggage, or they should. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I, maybe there is something to the Bobby Lane thing. I think it's more a William Clay Ford thing. Uh, ever since he bought the team, they've not done anything. Um, I think it's that more the family. Maybe once they sell the team, the curse will finally be lifted. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, you got, you got, when the team is so bad, you have to have something to, some straws to grasp at. You know what I mean? So I think, I think that's what a lot of that is with the fan base. Um, I mean, look, dude, you're a Lions fan. I'm a Lions fan. I've seen them win one playoff game in my lifetime. And I remember I was a freshman in high school when they beat the Cowboys. And to think they were one game away from the Super Bowl back then is still mind-blowing when you've seen all the futility from Lions football ever since. And I remember thinking, I'm like, this could be like the team of the 90s. Like this team could be, this team is set up to succeed. And I think they made the playoffs three more times after that and never won another game. And with Barry, I mean, in that deck, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a revolving door of crap is what it is. I just and, can't and the fans it. buy in every year, and that's just, that's just the way it goes. I've had, I've had some heated arguments on the show, right? I, these, people, these people buy this stuff. Like, you know, same day, a buddy of mine. Woodward because the, because I, they want anything to, to feel hopeful about. Because it's been so bad for so long that they need any ounce of hope that get them to get them you know, to get them excited. And that's, that's what you see because it's, it's been delusion. so bad here for so it's delusional, but it's been so bad for so long. And, you know, maybe now the Fords are starting to wake up a little bit because now you're starting to see people not show up. I think they said it was like 42,000 there yesterday. Uh, and that was probably being generous based on the pictures that I saw. I mean, the, the place is half full. I went to the game uh, when they lost to the Eagles. I took my nephews there and it was maybe a third full, if that. 
I mean, it was embarrassingly bad. And people have always said, like, we'll afford to finally make some changes. You know, will we'll, we'll something happen once people start not showing or stop showing up? And I think maybe we're starting to see that a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen following that, but um, it is interesting to see a lot of the apathy now amongst the fan base that you're not seeing people show up on Sundays to watch that team. Two Although I would have liked to have been there yesterday. That would have been great. It would have been fun. It would have been fun to be there. Two points about what you just said. First of all, nobody could show up. The TV deal is so lucrative that the team would be a lucrative. No, but it's, but it's, it's not a good look, especially in the NFL when you don't have full stadiums. I mean, granted, it, it, granted. It was embarrassingly bad the last few weeks. Yes, I agree. But secondary to that and piggybacking off what you just said, even if they are humiliated to the point where, look, we got to do something, this family, this bloodline, is not capable. This isn't a lack of wanting to do something. I, I'm sure they would prefer to win. They don't know how to win. They, 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 they can build a winning football team like I can give birth. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not biologically possible. They, don't, they, can't, they can't. So the whole, oh, you know, stop going to the games, that'll force, like, unless it forces them to sell, which I don't think they'll do for a I don't think they will either. I, I, I just, we're stuck. And look, you said it, you know, Reliance fans. I am. People think I hate them. Like, I, I kind of, I, you know, I love them and hate them. I, they've tortured me. You're older than me. They've tortured you longer than they've tortured me. Sad but true. I, it, it's just, I, I can't, we've gotten so little. People make fun of the Cincinnati Bengals, all the bungles. Marvin Lewis won the division, like, what, four or five times? Yeah. I mean. Well, and I'll even make another point. You know, working in New York, the Giants and Jets, ever since I got there, outside of my first year in 2016 when the boat picture happened, the Giants got blown out in Green Bay, and they've had losing seasons ever since. I have nothing but people at work complain to me about the Jets and Giants. And I say, you know who you're going to get no sympathy from? Me. I said, you try being a Lions fan and then come talk. Seriously. One playoff win since 1957. So it's next level futility with that organization. Um, so it's just, you know, I, I have to put people, put things in perspective because at least the Jets had made a couple of AFC championships with Rex and Sanchez, late two thousands giants, obviously four Super Bowls. Uh, so they, they've tasted success where Lions fans have not. I always laugh when Mike Fellini will declare himself giants free on the air and stuff. And I mean, they've been bad for a while now, but they won probably the most rewarding professional sports title in the history of pro sports in 07. I mean, maybe if you want to say the 04 Red Sox, it's like beating an 18 and 0 Patriots team in that game, like derailing a team from Boston's perfect season, right. the best quarterback of all time. Right. It's right up there with the 04 Red Sox is the greatest uh, pro sports team title ever. And in 09, Valenti was on the air in 97 to one saying he's giants free and he can't, he doesn't want to talk about him. It's so funny. Cause it, look, it's our fault. Like it's our, it's our, like it's our collective, you know, shit. I don't think people should lower their standards to make us feel better about ourselves, but it is so funny that I think if anything, the lions fans don't get enough, whether you call it sympathy or acknowledgement of how pitiful it is. Cause People make fun of the, like the Jets are the butt of jokes. Like the Jets, I've seen the Jets be on the doorstep of two Super Bowls in the right. last decade right. with Sanchez and Rex Ryan. Right. I mean, they they made it to back to back AFC title games. That they did more than I've ever seen. I mean, I just I think the Lions are, have it particularly bad. And let's talk about someone who has it particularly good. I would argue transition to this Mel Tucker in Michigan State. I was we're, wondering when you were going to get there. We're, yeah, just I wanted to touch on it a little bit. I, think I would hope so. Great year two for Mel Tucker. I don't care what anybody says. Not good. 
great year. I, I was so impressed with what they did. Uh, obviously, the Kenneth Walker season was unbelievable. The one thing I've heard that, look, I don't care. I, I'm all in with this program, with this coaching staff, everything they're doing. I don't have apprehension. But the one thing I've heard from Spartan fans that are not Spartan haters, that are alums that love the school and want them to do well, there's some concern. Kenneth Walker was so transcendent. I have argued best player in my lifetime, arguably the best Michigan State football player in 50 years since Bubba Smith left in the 60s. He was so good. He was worth four or five wins. This was really a five or six win team without him. And now he's gone. You're not going to replace him. You're not going to find the next best player in the last 50 years, presumably. Yeah, Tall order. Is it a little bit of fool's gold to you? I don't think it is. But is this program in a good trajectory uh, even if they win eight games next year, it slides back no a question. little bit. I mean, you don't what think was Ken- the over-under, four and a half this year? Four and a half. It, it closed at five right at the end. So you don't and buy it, this Kenneth Walker was a, no. a you know sort of a cover for I think for you just Mirage. have to look at the recruiting. I mean, would they have a top 20 class or 21, whatever? It's going to land right in there. Yeah, yeah. there's still, still pieces filling still in. Still pieces filling in. Um, great portal additions, again, with Berger, the kid from UNLV. Whitman, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they, did, they did nice in the portal again. They got the, uh, a couple other kids in there as well. Um, you know, and that's what Tucker, that's what, that's his bread and butter. He's going to recruit for you. Um, I don't know how many top 20 classes D'Antonio had, but I know it wasn't many. Well, the one, the one, we that, know, we know the one that was really bad in yeah, 16, but yeah, they were, uh, they did, they were 15 yeah. or 16, whatever it was. But yeah. yeah, they, they, he did not have that many top 20 classes. So Tucker's already come in in year two and, and delivered that. And I just like his demeanor. I like his approach. I like his attitude. I was like, I like how he's modernized the program with the social media and the way they recruit and everything. That would not have happened under D'Antonio, who is one of, if not the greatest coach in Michigan State history. Um, but that was not going to happen on his watch. So I think Tucker came along at the perfect time. And I think this is a team that will be a program that will be reckoned with going forward. They're not going to you know, win the national championship next season. Um, but I do think with the expanded playoffs going hopefully to 12 teams that, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could be a perennial playoff contender to finish in the top 12 teams in the country. Uh, I, I could certainly see that happening. Um, so as a, as a Michigan state alum, I like that Ishbia and I forget the other donor's name who wrote the check. Uh, St. Andre. Thank you. St. Andre Andre, who, uh, you know, was basically like, how much is it going to take to keep you here? you know, write the check and let's just get it done. I thought they had to do it. Uh, And then it's funny how the college football landscape after he signed that deal, just like turned upside down. He flicked the dominoes. Yeah. Like everything changed. And I I think if you're a Michigan state fan, you have to love where this team is at. And now he's locked in longevity wise. There's stability. Um, There's a lot to be excited about, dude. There really is. And Walker had an incredible season. It sucks that he's not going to be there in the peach bowl. Although I trade, him for Pickett any day, meaning like I'll happily take Walker out if Pickett's going to be out as well. I, I certainly think that helps Michigan State. Um, so I think uh, I think like I said, there, there's a lot to be thrilled about if you're a Michigan State fan going forward. I can't blame Pickett for sitting out. Some people, no, think- neither can I. But I mean, with our secondary and everything else, I mean that that's a nice win for Michigan State that Pickett is sitting out. Like if you're going to make that trade, Walker for Pickett. Oh, I, I mean, I see what you're deck. saying. I think Pickett was actually terrified he was going to throw. Seven interceptions. I'm against, sure against our against the friendly skies. <laughs> it's our incredible. Instead of the no fly zone, I think it was uh, it was Fowler who said that in the Ohio State game. It was the no fly zone. Now it's fly the friendly skies. Yeah, basically, it's the friendly skies. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like 
they were already bad, and then like two guys left the program. Yeah, and and then you got guys getting hurt. It was bad. They're gonna be calling really you and I up to see if we have yeah. any eligibility left. Like we're gonna be. Uh, you may actually. Field. Yeah. You may. Actually. I, 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 yeah. Believe it. Believe me. I have all four <laughs> years of my NCAA eligibility intact. I don't know. I so you obviously don't buy the negativity around the deal. There's a very who's who's negative about the deal. Uh, Mitch Album. Mitch Album came down. Yeah, uh, but that was just more about. You know, like first year coach and kind of like given so much, you know, spending so much of uh, but it wasn't even the university's money. I just think it was more like the principle of the thing, like giving that much money to a football. Well, maybe coach. in general, Mitch's point was a little different, though. Mitch came down. He rode down on his cloud from the heavenly skies and, you know, he, he just was able to galvanize us with his heavenly takes on sports. You know, the, the things that there's no way he watched one game all year. He his issue was. The billionaires are going to be running the shop now. That it's going to be the second quarter. Uh, the second quarter ends. Yeah, going I, in the I, I read the article, and yeah. and so what? <laughs> That's not, it's not going to happen anyway, though. You think Matt Ishbia is going to pick up his cell phone on his treadmill in, in his mansion in, in Beverly Hills? And say, uh, Mel, you, you can't run that jet sweep anymore, bro. No, like, I don't think it's going to happen, happen like that. I don't think it's going to happen like that. That's what Mitch implied. Like, that, he, that these guys are going to be uh, dictating schematics. It's like, it, it, Mitch doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I hope the Matt Ishmael's of the world can help out with the NIL deals, and he's already given them a monthly stipend. Yeah. And if that can help with recruiting, then I'm all about the billionaires having a say in this. Uh, you know what I mean? Please say all you want. Say all you want. Yeah, I, I, I mean, is, I don't think they should our... be calling the plays, but no, you know. But if you can, if you can use your money as a as a positive influence for these kids within the rules, which are now changing, I don't think I have any problem with that. All aboard. I mean, I think you and I are in the majority. There's some funny duddies even in the Michigan State fan base. I can't remember who it was was tweeting me the other day. It's a guy. He's like a fringe media guy in Detroit was saying this this money should be going to science buildings and shit like that. It's like. I, I just, I'm so tired yeah, but of that it's, But it's not the university's money. It's exactly. the donor's money. So who cares? Yeah. Hey, like, why are you so concerned? Matt Ishby has got a rounding error that's going to, on his budget sheet, it's, it's going to get Mel Tucker to stay here. I, I'm like, won't somebody please think of the children? Like, just, just so tired of it. Like, can we just have fun with sports? Spend the I, money. I think you should worry less about what those people say, because those people are in the minority, and you shouldn't let them get under your skin. Thank That's you. Right. I need this therapy. Yes. See, this is why you're here. I, I, I'm such a, a you should You should not guy. let those people get under your skin. I'm a high-strung guy. I, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I care, man, and I just, I'm tired. I don't want anybody. I mean, the Michigan stuff you're going to expect. I hate when it comes from inside our walls. I don't like seeing Spartans cast that out there. It's, right. it's the minority, though. It's like less than 5%. All right, so we'll wrap there other than our world-famous speed round. I told you I wouldn't keep you too long because I know you're here, what, five nights, six nights, we said? Uh, seven nights. Seven, oh, seven nights still. Yeah, Sunday, seven you, nights. I'm bad at math. You're giving me no, like but 16% this is, this is, this is day time. two. Yeah, I'm here yeah. on day two. Yeah, you're in high Top demand. Top priority. You're in high demand. When well, you, you called me out on Twitter when I was at the Pistons game yesterday. It worked so on John I, U. Bacon. John and U. it worked Bacon. on me too. I'm here, aren't I? I look, I'm two for two shaming yeah. people. I got to just start being a dick to me everybody. Me and John U. Yeah. You and John U. Yeah. Hella tight. Yeah, the I point is, my, I'm here. Yeah, you are here. You got here. Just for Jared, the colossal uh -huh. Chaldean. All right, so let's get to the speed round. Man. Speed I, round. Fire away. I'm going to have some fun with this one. So you are fresh-ish off your flight from, let's just say, LaGuardia. I don't know if you were Kennedy or LaGuardia. Newark, but oh, close. Well, it's the same difference. Yeah. You know, we got that, three airports there. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a beautiful town. No question. Living in New York City, I have said forever, top five city to visit, bottom five city I'd want to live in. It's just, it's like, I love New York. 
Don't get me wrong. It's again, top five place to visit. After the third, fourth, fifth day, I'm like, I got to get, it's too congested. It's it's almost like a claustrophobia thing that I only get there. I don't have anywhere else. I lived in Chicago four years, didn't get it there. What's your take on living in New York City? You're a Troy, Michigan, Oakland County suburbs boy. Yeah, at very heart. similar to Manhattan, Troy, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, right. They're, they get mistaken for yeah. each other in pictures all the time. Yes. Living in New York City, you've been there a half a decade or so now. Yeah, right? five plus years, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. When they say New York Minute, there's there there's a lot of truth to that. Tell me because about the, it. Tell the, me the about time the time flies. Uh, the days feel like weeks. The weeks turn into months. The months turn into years. Uh, and I have a lot of friends, and you made this point to me before the show. Like you come for three or four days, it's almost like going to Vegas, and you're like, okay, I've had enough. And a lot of people are like, to me, my friends, how do you live here, dude? Like, how do you? It's tough, man. I mean, it's. It is nonstop energy. It is nonstop sensory overload 24 seven. Uh, I've gotten somewhat numb to it five years later, but you're still not walking down the street and not being annoyed by the sirens and the taxi cab horns and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, you never really, you somewhat get used to it, but you don't really uh, get so comfortable with it that you're cool with it, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, but dude, there's no place like it. It is, uh, it is a special place. It has not been fun during COVID. I can tell you that. Uh, between the lockdowns and the, all this other nonsense, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff going down. Um, so that part has certainly taken away a lot of the fun from living in New York. Um, crazy to think we're almost two years into this pandemic already. Um, but yeah, I mean, would I trade it for anything? Absolutely not. It's been it's been a wild five years in a lot of different ways. Um, we just got to get you out there next time, bro. We'll get you out to the garden, get you to a Pistons Knicks game. I'd love and, uh, to. Yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, I, I told you, I've been to New York 10 times. I mean, I've been to Yankee games many times. I'm a, I'm a huge theater dork, so I've done the Broadway thing many times. Told you one of my best friends is a director out there. Uh, you know, it's just somehow I've never gotten to the garden. My big thing with New York, other than the congestion and the noise, is they planned the disposal of garbage like last when they built the city so they yeah. and they didn't really have a plan you don't like it all over on the streets they just, in like, the middle of the summertime and, yeah. it's like you're you're walking around and i'm usually there in the summer like yeah. seeing a tiger game or whatever yeah. and it just it just like goes right into the nostrils yeah it's just it's so yeah, gross just bags of garbage on the sidewalk they don't it's have any place great. to put it it's no. like oh put it in the, the alley what the alley? garbage trucks come along and uh, and they don't come till at night so it's sitting out there all day not a fan but in new york city i'm a fan the trash thing not a fan Transition to this next one, the Palace of Auburn Hills versus where you were last night, Little Caesars Arena. Now, you spent a lot of time at the Palace. You worked there many years. I think the Palace was prematurely closed. It was a beautiful No venue. question, especially after Gore spent all that money on the res- renovations. Yeah, chairs, new scoreboard. It's two miles from our studio right now. It broke my heart when they closed. No question. I know you spent more time at the former than the latter, but you've seen both. What's your take on sort of which one's better, if you had to say? Well, I mean, that's, you know, as a kid who grew up going to games at the Palace, um, I do like the, the, the modern feel of Little Caesars Arena. Um, I like how the, the stands are kind of built up because it's more, it's more like a hockey arena, right? So, like, the, the fans are a little bit more on top of the action. We're at the Palace. It was a little bit more spread out this way. So I do like kind of the layout of the stands being more on top of the court. Um, obviously the, the facility is beautiful. The thing I don't like is trying to park there. I mean, we were in the line for the parking structure, like 45 minutes in the district Detroit. Yes. In the district. It's the one thing it was, it was, I don't know what happened last night, dude, but the place was packed for a Pistons heat game, a Pistons team on a 14 game losing streak. It was packed in there last night and just the whole setup of trying to park. 
uh, was and I was I said that to my dad. I said, "Man, I miss the palace." You know, you got the one big parking lot there, and they just had that thing down to a science, just waving people through and taking the money. Um, but yeah, dude, when when that place got torn down, I, I certainly shed a tear because there was a lot of great memories in that building. It was it was shut down way too soon. That place, as well as it was maintained, had twenty years. But left. look, you, you have to understand what Gorse was thinking. That you know, downtown was 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 starting to flourish. It was booming a little bit, and you're moving into a new arena at half the price because the Red Wings are splitting the bill with you. So yeah, but makes, I live here, man. What about me? Well, right. Well, he wasn't really thinking about you, right. and I know That's a lot it. of the Oakland County people were not happy that uh, they moved downtown. But you said it uh, about the parking, man. That's what I loved about the palace. Yeah, There's no the like pal- anxiety. Yes. Oh, I no, find no, a lot. no. Anxiety, yep. no anxiety the there. Yeah, you got you got everybody parks right around there. I mean, just the, that 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 arena was so ahead of its time when it was built in 1988, and it was still consistently voted one of the top five arenas in the NBA or in the in sports even before right when it was about to get torn down. It was still considered one of the top five ten venues in the country. So uh, a sad day indeed when it was laid to rest. Yes, I like both places. It's not an anti-LCA take, but the Palace, I wish they could both exist. Okay, Ryan Fields, Michigan State Bar. Now, Rick's. Rick's, is <laughs> yeah. it? I'll, I'll yeah. cut you off before you even get Go. there. Yeah, yeah, that, tell, that was, why do you like Rick's? Monday night was Monday night was the place to be. Rick's was always the spot. Oh, it was just man. something about being down in the basement. You felt like, you know, you were in like a uh, like a basement and uh, God, what's, what's a famous street up there? I can't even think now. Uh, Grove, Grove Street, maybe. Oh, Grove. Yeah, you're yeah. like a house party down in the basement with a keg in the corner. Yeah. You, know, you kind of had that college bar feel when you're down in the basement at Rick's. Uh, we had a lot of good times there, man. We had a lot of good times. I haven't been to Rick's in a while. I would, I, and I don't think I'll ever go back. It'd be weird. I was uh, in East Lansing for Michigan, Michigan State this year. My buddy James and we were at the Graduate Hotel right across the street from Rick's. Which I heard is nice, by the way. Oh, it's spectacular. Yeah, yeah it, it was awesome. <laughs> and I, I made a joke. I was like, "Oh, look at the line for Rick's." Like it's, it, which it was. It was like around the block. Like it always was. That much hasn't changed. And he was like, "Dude, we are a hundred percent not going to Rick's." <laughs> I, I, I will feel like a. a pedophile like at this point going to Rick's even I mean just we could go to other college bars but there's something about Rick's where it's like your first five years out of school I think you can go I'm now 10 years after well you were asking about my favorite college bar while I was in no, school no no, no. Yeah. Was, right okay. no you answered fine I'm just oh, I'm just talking you. about Rick's like I couldn't go back there no of course but not. even when I was there not my cup of tea can I get a door on the bathroom stall please nope that I mean was part we, of that was part of the charm bud you just got to go in there and roll the dice. No privacy. That's just, well, that's just first how of all, I don't know who's doing that business at Rick's, but in principle, I just want a door there. Like I want a door. On this. <laughs> it's weird to not have a door on a stall, but yeah, Rick's, uh, I, I don't know if they've ever cleaned that floor. I, I think no. uh, I thought, again, part of the charm of that place. Yeah. So well, I don't know. I was more of a post guy that they, they, they <laughs> tore that down though. Everything's gone. I mean, I, I mean, I was there more recently than you as a student. Yeah. When I went up there in October, I didn't know where I was. The town looks completely different. Yeah. Have you been back there? I was just there for the Michigan Michigan State. So you were up there too. Yeah, I waved at you when you walked by me. You just totally ignored me. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's another. That's time why I almost. You, that's why I didn't almost come on the podcast. It's another time. Uh, another time you were in town. I didn't know anything about it. So uh, yeah, you didn't get my text. I don't remember. I don't know, dude. I was. I was. I, I was a mess that weekend in a good and bad way. I was. Racked with anxiety, as you might imagine. No question, we all were. And, and the whole I was game, nervous as hell going in. I didn't enjoy that game. At no point in that game was I having fun until the very, very until very Bradley's end. interception. <laughs> yeah. Then I was having all kind of fun. Yeah, you know, my my wife's like, oh, yeah, so my husband's a huge sports fan. I'm like, I don't really like this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's nothing about that was enjoyable until the very end. All right, moving on. So 
I thought this was the speed round, by the way. <laughs> you want to pull up the Justin Rogers episode yeah, from the Detroit wait, wait, News? I thought like this a, was the speed round. It's like a two-hour speed round. The speed round's notoriously slow. Okay? Yeah, exactly. okay. <laughs> so we got a lot to, to be say. Sure. I'm very type A. And you know, it's not so often I get to bump elbows with a celebrity of your stature. Speaking mm, of which, mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm sure you've uh, talked to young kids here and there about uh, trying to make it in the business. And you're sure. giving advice to people. Of course. You're talking to a Michigan State J school guy, or you know, he's a BCA, whatever. He's going into this field. What's your one piece of advice for someone who's just getting started, fresh out of college, or about to graduate? What, what do you tell someone? Show up and be nice. That's simple. Your That's two good. your two best abilities are your availability and your likability. That's it. I don't know. I can't speak for your attendance, but I know everybody likes you, so you got half of that right. If your attendance, your, li- your likability and your availability. You yeah, show good. up and you be nice. That's 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 first and foremost. Secondly, you get internship because that's where you rub elbows with professionals. You learn, you can learn things in a classroom, but it pales in comparison to what you learn um, doing it hands-on, if you will, in the field. Um, I got hired out of my internship, which was given to me or helped out by L.A. Dickerson, who helped facilitate me getting an internship at Fox and Lansing, which they ended up hiring me. Uh, my, my, I was the weekend sports anchor my senior year at Michigan State. I was the weekend sports anchor at Fox. Uh, they hired me right out of my internship and a lot of great things can happen like that. And, you know, after that it's networking and it's so much easier nowadays with social media, which didn't exist when I was in school. Hell, computers barely existed when I was in school. School It was a long time ago. Um, so I think that's, th- those are probably the three, the three big things to make it in this business. Those are all good. Rock solid. Moving on. I, I had to do it, man. I'm sorry. I don't know if you've done an interview without this coming up. Got to ask about the prices. right. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I could tell people, I could say on this podcast right now that I had dinner in the Oval Office with the president. Just him and I talking about national security, whatever else you want to talk. People would be like, that's cool. You tell someone you were in the showcase showdown on The Price is Right with Bob Barker, they're like, oh, I know. What happened? They want to know all the details. I, that's why I'm asking. I, yeah, you could have had that. Oh, that's, uh, uh, we'll be here all night telling that story. Uh, you have to tell me the whole story, but just. Uh, I'll give you the cliff notes. I, I lied. I said I was a Michigan State student. Oh, here we go. I guess we're playing it here. Oh, here we go. I mean, the best part about, there he is. A few shirt. pounds heavier, a uh, little feathered hair. You somehow look older there. Yeah, no question. <laughs> the t-shirt was tucked into the carpenter jeans, which was a great look with the black belt. I love the Michigan State shirt. Oh, yeah. The tuck- I think that was a Jansport, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, Stephen Berry's rock. Yeah, Stephen Berry's. Yeah. Uh, so I lied and said I was a Michigan State student. I was already a year and a half removed from okay. Michigan State. Little white lie, but it got me on the prices. Did right. you think that was it was more appealing to have a student there? Yeah, you? because I was talking to my friend who was a producer in LA for a different show, and she's like, "They love college kids." Gotcha. So go ahead and pretend that you're a college kid. I said, "I'm, you know, I could play a college kid." Just, <laughs> you can, you can despite play one, the you feather can play one now, asshole. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, grad student, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so I got on the show, uh, and they interview you beforehand. They're like, "Justin, tell me something about yourself," and you got ten seconds to sell yourself. And I said, I'm Ryan. I'm a student at Michigan State. I flew all the way in from East Lansing so I could spin the big wheel. And I see the producers make a little note. But you don't know. They know they're going to pick you, but you don't know you're going to get picked. And as you just saw in the clip, I was one of the first four people called down to start the show. And if we watch the rest of the clip, I bid on four mountain bikes. One, shake Bob's hand like, holy hell, this is happening. I play a game called Pushover, win a trip to Barcelona. 
So within five minutes, I've won four mountain bikes and a trip to Barcelona, shook Bob's hand. I'm immediately backstage filling out tax paperwork, which they give you the right to refuse the prizes if you don't want to pay the taxes on them because you have to pay California taxes. So I kept the mountain bikes, which we sold three of them. My mom still has the last remaining prices right bike in our garage in Rochester. So I go to this show, uh, the wheel, roll a 65 after the first person went over, stayed a 65. Next person went over. I'm in the showcase. I overbid on the showcase, which anybody that's watched that clip now, which is 20 years old. I mean, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity that I choked on big time. You're what, three or 4,000 off? I three, 3,000 over. Yeah, yeah. I was 3,000 yeah. over. And you know why they got me? Because the Dodge Ram pickup truck that I bid on when I rewatched it was a four by two. It was not even a four by four pickup oh, truck. Yeah. They got me on a technicality, which if you've ever shopped for a pickup truck, I mean, you know, I drive there's a Ram a, right now. There's a several thousand dollar difference between a four by two and a four by four. But I wasn't listening. I got Bob Barker sitting right next to me. I got models and bikinis right here. <laughs> I'm not listening to Rod Roddy describe the prizes. And so they got me on a technicality, but the story takes a crazy twist because several months later, the travel agent calls me and says, when do you want to go to Barcelona? I pick this week in September and I take my friend, Laura, who I went to visit. Her and I go to Barcelona. They put us up at the Ritz Carlton. Price is right. Not bad. Thanks, Bob Barker. Appreciate you hooking a guy up. We party in Barcelona all week. We are flying home into New York City on the morning of September 11th, 2000. No shit. That is a 100%. I have never heard that part of the story. I, that is a 1,000% true story. Oh, man. And if, you ever, if you've been to New York and you've seen the Broadway show Come From Away, I am one of the Come From Away people because I got diverted to Newfoundland where I was stuck there. Guess how many days I spent in Newfoundland? Ten. Six. Six days. Still a lot. Couldn't take any luggage off the plane. We sat on the tarmac for 14 and a half hours after we got diverted oh to Newfoundland. God. 14 and a half hours after it was an eight and a half hour flight to get there. Oh, that so, at that and point. I slept not on this carpet because this is plush. I slept on an office floor in a convention center for six days before I was back on a plane out of Newfoundland. And that was like pre iPhone. So like you, like, how are you catching up on? The so they had CNN playing in like the command center where we were at. So we would just spend all of our day watching CNN waiting to see when the airports were going to open because the airports were closed for three days after that. And we were just wondering when we were going to get home. And it was the most remarkable story. And it's all because of the price is right. Yeah, Bob Barker. Give I us went, Bob Barker, yeah. Take so I literally <laughs> went price is right. Nine 11. I went from sleeping at the Ritz Carlton to sleeping at the floor on the floor of a office building slash convention center in St. John's, Newfoundland population of about 5,000 people. Doesn't the show just end when you're your segment when you you overbid? The show's over. Though. The show's over. We're, but we're, that was just part of the that this little did we know what would happen next. That's down the road, but I'm talking the immediate aftermath. You, I, I mean, they're all like, ah, you know, they're they're in the bikinis and they're waiting. And the, the other guy overbid too. It was a double loser. Yeah. Bum, I know bum, that you just, had to not, you just had to not go over. Yeah, right. right. Now would have won. What's like the 30 seconds after they cut the camera? Is, is it like, Yeah, everybody just clears off the set. I mean, yeah. I shook Bob's hand and that was that. Here's the even crazier part of the story. My mom was on the show in 1979. No shit. She won a washer and dryer and a fur coat. And she was in the same spot on contestants row that I was, as you saw in that clip. I was on the fourth spot, the far left. That's where my mom was as well in 1979. But she got to the wheel and she lost a spinoff on the second tie, like the second tiebreaker. So she lost on the wheel 
I made it to the showcase over bid. So one day when I have a child in the next 30 years, if the show is still going on, their job is to then finish the field yeah. family tradition of actually winning the showcase on the prices, right? It's like a relay race. You're passing the torch. Passing the baton, cl- right. On to the next. Right. Yeah, but you yeah, were just, on the real one with Bob Barker. I was on, yeah, just, Rod Roddy. It was, it was the OGs. It was, yeah. it was very cool. So it was 20 years ago. It was January tw- uh, 2001. And when I was on the show afterwards, nobody believed me that I was on it. Because the show doesn't air for another month after they tape it. And I said, no, I swear I won the show. I was up on the showcase. I won a trip to Barcelona. Yeah, whatever. Like none of your buddies believed you. No. And then it finally aired. And uh, it, was, it was a huge deal. Uh, and then the whole 9-11 story, which there's so many details to that story. I could talk to you about that. That's a, that's a podcast in and of itself. Um, but just, just a crazy time for our country uh, and being so isolated, being up in St. John's, Newfoundland. And the fact they made a Broadway show about it, Come From Away is uh is pretty pretty crazy that's so, wild yeah crazy i never story. knew I, i've heard the price is right story i've seen the clip like a hundred times i never knew that's the second half the, of the back story. half of that yes, which is just wild that's bizarre it's just life life is weird man i'm telling you we'll finish here best sports broadcaster working today now we all know it's colin coward but you know him aside who's the best your idol so whose well, picture just happens to be right here on the desk. There's a commissioned painting of him on the wall. I saw that camera. as well. I mean, it's all Spartan stuff. And, people are and like, then Colin Coward. I, I've, I've, I met Colin when I was working at FS1. He started there when I was there. Great dude. Yeah. Love his great, style. Great guy. Knows his stuff. Everything you want in a guy who's in that position. Uh, but I, love, I love Joe Buck. And I know people hate on Joe oh, Buck. No. I, I love Joe Buck's personality. I love his snark. I love his, the way he calls a game. When you hear his voice, you know it's a big game. And there's not many guys in today's day and age that you can say that. That's Al Michaels. Al Michaels is another one. I didn't say he was the only one voice from God who just came from above. (laughs) That's that's Oz. That's a great and powerful Oz. Um, The great and powerful Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. (laughs) That's right. Or behind the door over there. Um, I, I think Joe Buck is, is one of the best to ever do it. And I know people give him a lot of crap, uh, but I, I think he's absolutely tremendous. You cannot blow the David Tyree helmet catch and never be on this list. You're ineligible. Look, dude, he had a, he had a, he had a bad call. It happens. I, I've had bad moments myself. In that the, that in the was show. that was Captain Smith saying, "Let's pick up more speed on the Titanic." Level Look, it, it happens, bud. It happens. It happens but, in the second quarter of Week Nine but, against the Cardinals. But in the game against at the, the end the of the Rams. day, at the end of the day, when you're talking about some of the best or one of the best broadcasters in the game right now, it's him. He's got a great voice, and this is your round, not mine. I okay, great. Dick, but <laughs> I was going to say, w- w- am I the guest or are you the guest? Yeah, yeah, I, I Give me the questions. I'll ask. <laughs> well, that was the last one. I mean, we all know Colin Coward's the, the, the right answer, but I, it's like you almost had to take him off. Well, who who would be your answer after Colin? Oh, I mean, it's such a cavernous gap from one to two. I well, mean, but obviously. It's, 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 Al, it's Al Michaels. I mean, Al Michaels. Al's great. I think Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are the two, I mean, are the best pair of of broadcasters that mm-hmm. I've ever seen or heard, those guys and look. The people that don't like Collinsworth, I don't understand it. The, the criticism of him is that you know he goes off on you know some tangents sometimes, he, which I don't even agree with. I don't even know what people are talking about. That's more of like a Phil Sims thing to be honest. But I hate the wooden broadcasters that are just. I'm not going to name names. I don't want to shit on anybody, but they're out there. There's a lot of them that are just. They don't do a bad job. They do a good job. Sure, they're, but there's no. A color or a character to them. They're they're kind of like a paint by number broadcaster. Collinsworth will be like, I gotta be honest, Al, I don't know what he's thinking there. Like that's that to me is he's the best. Uh, yeah, the best. I love Collinsworth, color guy. Yeah, but yeah. no question. 
There's a lot of good ones out there, though. I gotta say, I mean, Coward being number one, but Michaels is fantastic. Legend. He's like a hundred years old. He's so I love Gus Johnson. I love Mike Breen uh, on the NBA. Gus. Uh, you know, Gus has his moments where you're like, what did he say? Yeah. Um, but when you're watching a game, you want to be entertained. And the guy's entertaining. And nobody can argue with that. Were you a Marv Albert guy? I love Marv. I Albert. liked Marv. I love Marv Albert. Yeah. I love, uh, I think Kevin Harlan calls a great game I'm in the NBA. You. I'm with you. Um, I love, um, uh, who's the guy for CBS? Um, it's college football. Um, Don't say Packer. No, not Packer. No, 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 no. Oh, oh you said shoot. football. He's bad. Football, college football. Yeah. Uh, ABC, not, not CBS. Um, he called the uh, Herb Haygood catch. Who was that? Uh, Haygood against Notre it Dame. It wasn't Saunders. No, no. Is white guy or black white guy? White guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, still, he still calls games. Nestler. Brad Nestler. Oh, Brad, yeah. Nestler, Nestler calls a good game. He's fantastic. He's great. I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, I, I like most of them. They, like the, the bigger guys. He, hey, uh, he called also the um, he called also the uh, Little Giants play. That oh, was yeah, Brad that's Nestler. Right. That's right. When I hear. That's I, the call of the year. When I hear Hey Good, all I can think of is. 35 40. 45 He's going to go. Well, yeah, I just think of uh, Brandstatter uh, screaming, Watch out, Hey Good. Watch out. Yeah, I'm right. On the clock playing. It's, like, <laughs> it's, the whole, it's such a homer. All right, man. Well, we'll get you out of here. I know you're in high demand. Great we're times, brother. Yeah, we were able to do this finally. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I should be thanking the uh, Colossal Chaldean, Jared, for you should. coordinating this. I, I give I him think all, all the gratitude. Yeah, he's uh, he's made a steal. Intimidating guy to say no to. So, uh, yeah, it was awesome to have you. And seriously, you're in high demand, and I do appreciate you making some time. Anytime, man. I had a lot of fun. You're a distinguished alum for a reason, man. You're a pro. You're, you're the best. Appreciate you, uh, Thank you to the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the, uh, well, now it's, I guess, the door. Again, a bookshelf. Yeah. The, the, the hidden door. <laughs> Does a great job. Eric Williamson, who certainly is in his boxers on his couch by now, our set designer, graphic designer. Thank you to you guys. A lot more in the works. Ryan Field, straight from uh, Newark Airport. Happy to have you for a few more days. And then uh, stay Gonna be back to the Big Apple, bud. Uh, go green, man. Go white. We'll see you, Spiro Evan. We'll see you next week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.